God, I pray that you would show yourself to us this morning through the words of your scripture. You have shown yourself to be faithful again and again and again throughout history to show who you are truly uh, to people who would otherwise have no clue. We would be utter, utterly and completely lost apart from your intervention. And we thank you that you have spoken and you have spoken truly and you have spoken reliably. And we can trust the testimony of Scripture about you. I thank you for that great gift. And I pray that you would send your spirit this morning to enliven the words of Scripture so that they're not just words on a page, but that they can speak truly of you and testify to your greatness and shape us to be a people who not only know you and love you, but who live in obedience to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there are times in life when it's uh, a little bit uh, tricky and maybe even a little bit difficult uh, to tell the truth. Uh, so if someone asks, who ate the last piece of cake? And you kind of wipe the thing off your thing and kind of say silence. Or they say, uh, worse, uh, do these pants make me look fat? I think, well, yeah, I don't know if I'd blame the pants for that. It's... One of the things I love about uh, my wife and I respect a lot about her is that she is very conscious of speaking truth in her words. Uh, she's, she's very careful to choose her words so that what she says has integrity behind it. She, she says what she means. I, I know this because um, uh, one time we were driving along in the car and there was a song playing on our stereo and I like this particular song, so I'm singing along to the song and then I, I realized that I'm not a very good singer. I often sing off-key and so I stopped singing and I apologized to my wife uh, for my terrible singing. And um, she wanted me to continue singing. She realized it made me happy and all these things. So she uh, started to say, no, no, honey, you're a good. But then she realized that wasn't going to be true. So she stopped and caught herself. Said, I like your singing. You can keep singing. You don't have to stop. See, we come into situations like this uh, all the time. We realize that telling the truth has consequences. There's, our words have an impact. And when we're confronted by a situation that demands that we make a choice between telling the truth and telling a deception or telling a lie, we kind of make this split-second calculation. Is telling the truth really worth the cost in this particular instance? Would it be really so bad to be a little bit misleading uh, just this one time? And I catch myself doing this all the time, and it drives me crazy. I, I hate that I do this because I'm doing this, you know, I, I'm in trouble with someone or, or something like that, and I'm, I'm trying to maybe sort of uh, save face a little bit by something that's just not quite true. It's not an outright lie, but it's not quite true. Or, or maybe I just could um, make myself look a little bit better by saying this instead of saying that, even if it's not totally based in reality. But Jesus says in John 14, 6, that he is the truth. And in John 8, he says that those who know him will know the truth, and the truth sets them free. So in this calculation that we make between lying and truth, we forget that Jesus himself, the one that we are called to follow, is the embodiment of truth. And he calls his people to be a people of truth. He says this is the path to freedom. The path to freedom is the path of truth. And that, that uh, path is set out by the commandment that we have before us this morning. Commandment number nine. You shall not bear, give false testimony against your neighbor. This summer we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and, and uh, learning what God uh, calls his people to do. And the, the, the series title is uh, Ten Commandments to Live Free. We have to remember this is about God who has called his people out of slavery in Egypt. He has set them free. And now he's showing them what it means to live a life of freedom. These are commands that are not constraining, but commands that give us a life of freedom. That's why just Jesus says that the truth sets us free. Those who live by the truth have the life of freedom. So this morning we have before us commandment number nine. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This would be a good time to turn there if you haven't already. 
If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can use the Pew Bibles. This is found on page 74 of the Pew Bibles. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is the ninth commandment. This is what it says. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So this is a command about lying. False testimony is a lying witness. So negatively, it's about not lying. That means positively, it's about telling the truth. As we look at this command, uh, we see that it points uh, in two different directions. Truth impacts uh, two different directions. Uh, The first of those directions is justice. So we're going to look at these two in turn. The first of these is justice. This is about truth and justice. Listen again to the command. Uh, Exodus 20, 16. It says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, the immediate context of this command is not uh, a conversation between two spouses in a car. The immediate context of this command is a courtroom. False testimony is about being on the witness stand and not telling the truth about another person. So this is a false accusation in court. And the Bible actually gives uh, multiple examples of false testimony, including in the trial of Jesus himself. Jesus was arrested, and the people who wanted to get a conviction found some people who would lie about things that he had said and things that he had done in order to win that conviction. So they brought these false testimonies against Jesus, and that was part of what led to his conviction and his ultimate execution. It's false witness. That's what this command is against. Jesus himself was the victim of someone who failed to obey this command. And the problem is pretty obvious. It's a, if, there's no, uh, if there's no true testimony, it undermines the whole system of justice, right? In our court system, we rely on witnesses to tell what? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And when they don't do that, when they give a lie on the testament stand, when they give a false testimony, it undermines justice. It works against uh, justice. When witnesses lie, there's no justice. It's totally destroyed. I ran across an example of this uh, recently. A a man named uh, Barry Gibbs was arrested on murder charges. Uh, A lady had been killed, and there was an eyewitness who had been jogging along the road and seen a car stop and pull over, and and a guy got out of one side and and pulled a body out of the other side and covered it with a blanket, and this witness saw the guy and was able to give a description to the police. And later, they they did a police lineup, and Barry Gibbs was one of the, the men in the lineup, and this eyewitness testified that Barry Gibbs was the guy. He was the guy who had done this crime. He's the one he saw on the side of the road. And so, based on the witness's testimony, uh, Gibbs was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Seventeen years later, that was 1988, 17 years later, in 2005, the rest of the story started to unfold. It turns out that the detective who was assigned to this case was named uh, Louis Eppolito, and he had ties to the mafia. He was a corrupt detective, and, and so he had actually uh, gotten arrested in 2005 on uh, murder charges. He himself was convicted of eight different murder charges. Now, when he was arrested, that eyewitness who identified Barry Gibbs came forward and said, Barry Gibbs wasn't the guy. This detective had coerced him. He had threatened his family if he didn't testify that Barry Gibbs was the guy and testify against him in court. And this is the cost of injustice. This this is what happens when there's a false testimony. Unfortunately, in in this particular case, in the end, this man was exonerated of that. But this shows us uh, how injustice comes from false testimony. It comes from someone breaking the ninth command. And that's what the the ninth commandment is about in the first instance, in the most uh, particular uh, case. But it's also part of a much bigger picture. And the bigger picture that this is a part of is the conflict between God and Satan. The Bible continually testifies that God is truth, that he is on the side of truth. So, for example, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. 
God is not a liar. God is a God of truth. And because of that, God is on the side of truth. So you see in Proverbs uh, chapter 6, there's a list of seven things that God hates, that God detests. Two of those seven things have to do with this command. They have to do with lying and giving false testimony. God hates lies because he is a God of truth. And again, as we saw earlier, Jesus said that he is the embodiment of truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Son of God himself embodies truth. So we see that God is a God of truth. There's no lies in God. He's on the side of truth. And because he is a God of truth, that means he's also a God of justice. And so the psalmist can can cry out calling to God for justice because he knows that God is a just and a righteous judge. So, for example, Psalm chapter 7 is crying out to God and says this, Bring an end to the violence of the wicked. Make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. God is a God of truth, no lies. Truth, and therefore he's a God of justice. Satan, on the other hand, is not on the side of truth at all. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 8 that, Jesus, that, that Satan is the father of lies. Listen to the accusation he makes against the religious leaders in his day, identifying them as children of Satan. This is John eight forty four. He says to them, You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is saying, Satan is totally collected to lies. There's no truth in Satan at all. God is a God of truth. Satan is a, God of, is a person of lies. He's the deceiver. He consistently is on the side of not truth. He's the father of lies. Not only that, not only is he a deceiver and liar, he is called the accuser of God's people. God is a just judge bringing righteous judgment. Satan is one who accuses God's people. This is what it says in, in Revelation chapter 12, a great uh, story of God's victory over Satan. Listen to how it describes Satan here. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So he's a deceiver. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, you have co- now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. This is a picture of true justice. True justice happens when God's truth overcomes and destroys the lies and the deception of Satan. So this this shows that there's, there's much more at stake in this command than just a courtroom scene. What's at stake here is God's kingdom destroying Satan's deception. So what's at stake when you and I speak true words is whether or not we are on the side of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is is the place where God's rule is acknowledged, where he is acknowledged as king. And the Ten Commandments are showing us what it means to live with God as king. This, This is what it's about. This is what it means to live as part of God's kingdom. And that's what's at stake for us in this. God is right now extending his rule. His kingdom is growing. The place where his rule is acknowledged is growing all over the world, including here in Ludington, as more and more people come to put their faith in Jesus. And you and I show whether or not we're part of that kingdom by the words that we speak. If we speak words that are true, we show that we are living in obedience to God. We're living with him as king in his kingdom. There's a lot at stake here in the way we use our words. 
We must speak truth in service of justice because our God is a God of truth and a God of justice. The question for us as we look at how, what it means for us to obey this command is, am I actually doing that? The question you have to ask yourself is, well, do my words identify me as a child of God or do my words identify me as a child of Satan? Satan's the father of lies, and, and his words are deceptive, and, and his words are destructive. And so if my words are in service of that, if my words are not true, if they're uh, deceiving people in service of the accuser, then I show that I'm really on his side. But on the other hand, God is truth. And so if my words are speaking truth in service of uh, justice, then I'm showing that I am a true child of God. And this is about not just self-identification. This is about actual words and action. I mean, the people that Jesus accused of having Satan as their father, they would have never self-identified as followers of Satan. They self-identified as followers of God. And yet Jesus is saying that their actions, the way they speak and what they do, betray them. They show that their true father isn't God at all. Their true father is Satan. This is a huge thing. The words that we say matter. Truth is a really big deal. If we are truly God's children, we speak truth. We see that the first direction this points is in regard to justice. But the command also points another direction. So as it points to truth and justice, it's also about our neighbor. So it's also about truth in service of loving and serving the people around us. Look again at that command. Exodus 20, 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So this is about truth and justice. But truth and justice are never in a vacuum. They're not disconnected from the real world. They're a part of the real world, and they affect real people in the real world. They have a devastating impact if, if our words are not true. I mean, think about that man, Barry Gibbs. He spent 19 years in prison, including two pretrial years, because of false accusation. I saw an, an article that was written uh, right after his release in 2005 that had interviewed him, and he's saying, I have nothing left. I, I'm free, I'm released from prison, but I've got nothing. He, of course, had lost his job. While he was in prison, his ex-wife died. While he was in prison, his mother died. While he was in prison, his father had developed dementia and was suffering. His relationship with his son had suffered. So he had no income, he had no savings, no money, and he had no place to live. I mean, that's the cost of injustice. That's the cost of words that are not true. It's the cost of the human cost of false testimony. And it could have been much worse. He could have been executed for that, and there would have never been a chance for him to be exonerated and cleared. And by the way, Gibbs was later, five years after his release, he was awarded a $10 million settlement for the injustice that he suffered. And you might think, well, $10 million is a really big number, so maybe that was worth 19 years in prison. But if you have any idea what 19 years in prison is like, you know that's not true. He just lost maybe a fifth or a quarter of his life due to false accusation. A false witness destroyed his life. What we see as we look in this second direction of, of how it relates to our neighbors, uh, that the importance of telling truth in regard to loving our neighbors, it shows how powerful our words are. In a courtroom, words have the power of conviction and acquittal. They have the power of justice and injustice. They can send, uh, release an innocent man and free him, or they can put an innocent man in prison for life. This is the power of our words, the power and the importance of truth in order to protect the well-being of the people around us. And obviously that goes well beyond just the courtroom, well beyond just the narrow realm of justice. 
Words have power to destroy, and words have power to give life. And we see the destructive power of words all the time. You and I use words to destroy our neighbors when we engage in gossip, when we spread rumors. We use our words to destroy the people around us when we manipulate, when we humiliate. We use our words to destroy others when we insult, when we slander, when we tear down. There's a huge potential for harm. And yet these words just slip out of our mouths so quickly and so easily. Maybe you've heard the old story of, of a man who had heard this, uh, this juicy tale about one of his neighbors. And of course you hear something like this and, and your, your impulse is to share it. You just can't keep this bottled up inside. So he, he shared maybe with a couple people and then who knows, maybe they shared with a couple people, maybe not. But he later came to find out that what he had told about his neighbor wasn't true. So he had just said something not true about his neighbor. And he was convicted about this. He had damaged his neighbor's reputation about something that, that wasn't actually true. So he went to a friend of his who was a bit wiser, and, and he asked him, well, what do I do? How do I make this right? And the guy told him, well, get a, get a pillow, a down feather pillow, and go to the top of a hill, and then cut the top off, dump all the feathers out, and come back and talk to me. So the guy did this. Um, he took his pillow, he went up to the top of a hill, uh, cut the top, it shook all the down feathers, down feathers just everywhere. And he goes back and sees the man. And his friend said, okay, now go back and pick them all up. Every single one of those down feathers, pick them back up, put them in the pillowcase, and bring them back to me. It's impossible, right? These words just fly out of our mouths, and we don't think about the impact that they're having. But once out, they just start taking on a life of their own, and it gets worse and worse, and you can never pull back the full force of destruction of your words. They've already unleashed their uh, poison to do its destructive work of the people around us. Words have incredible potential for harm. Now, Despite that, for all their destructive power, words can also be incredibly life-giving. We use words to give life to the people around us when we encourage and affirm the people around us. We use our words to give life when we correct and when we sharpen and when we teach. We use words to give life when we comfort, when we build up, when we give hope to the people around us. The power, the life-giving power of words was really uh, brought home for us and our family a year ago. Um, my wife noticed my daughter, who was about two uh, at the time, uh, doing something that was clearly pretty scary for her. Uh, but she ended up doing it anyway. She was clearly a little bit off-put. She was kind of shaky, but she went ahead and did it. And noticing this, my wife said, Esme, you're a brave girl. And it was true, right? We didn't think too much about it. It was a true statement. Um, she told me about it later, and it was, it was fine, but we didn't think too much of it. Until a week or so later, she had another opportunity. My wife was down in the basement, and Esme wanted to go down to the basement to join her. Our basement's not finished, uh, and the stairs are open, they're steep, there's no handrail. It's a little bit scary for a two-year-old. So my wife asked my daughter, do you need some help getting down the stairs? And she said, no, I'm a brave girl, I can do it myself. Think, the words that we use have tremendous power to give life. We can encourage, we can affirm, and we can help positively shape the identity of the people around us by the words that we use. Uh, a few years ago, a group of um, free church pastors that I meet with regularly uh, shared the stories of how we had come to uh, be called into ministry, how we had become uh, pastors. And again and again and again, as we told these stories, this common theme came out. I kept saying, somewhere along the line, there was someone who said, I see something in you, and God can use this for good. Again and again and again, we heard this. People noticed something, and they spoke affirming and life-giving words, and they latched onto that, and God used that to shape them and call them and uh, to lead them into ministry. And of course, it can't just be flattery. 
right? If, if these are not true words spoken to try to puff someone up, there's no substance to it, there's no foundation of it, and we can actually do them great harm in this. The words that we use to encourage will only truly build up another person, they will only truly give life if they are actually spoken truly, if they're true words. But the power of true words spoken to build another up is immense. This is incredibly powerful. So as we look at this command, here's what's going on here. Truth is crucial for justice, but truth is also crucial for building up and loving the people that are around us. It's about justice, and it's about our neighbors. Truth serves justice and builds justice up. Truth also builds up the people around us and gives life. So the bottom line for us as we look at this uh, text is that the words we say matter. What we say is incredibly powerful. We must watch what we say. Now, so how do we, uh, how do we apply this uh, text in our lives? Well, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook. I'm not going to hold you to this command. It doesn't make sense. This is spoken for people who are God's children. But I'm not going to totally leave you off the hook because I want you to have a little bit of an assignment. I want you to listen this week for how the people around you use their words. And more specifically, I want you to watch how Christians use their words. Are they speaking words that are true? Are they speaking words that, that bring justice? Are they speaking words that, that give life to others? Or are they speaking deceptive words? Are they working against justice? Are they tearing people down? Now, the caveat here, of course, is that Christians are far from perfect. Any of you who know any Christians knows that we are a very imperfect people. We will always fail at this. But God is shaping us to be a new people. He's giving us a new heart, and out of a new heart come new words, come better words, true words, life-giving words, justice-inspiring words. Watch and see if there's actually a difference in this. Now, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I am absolutely going to hold you to this command because this is who we are called to be as God's people. We are called to be people who speak truth, even when it's inconvenient, even it's going to cost us. We are called to build up others with true words uh, and not to tear down, not to destroy. We are called to be people who use the right words, who speak truth for justice, who speak truth for the good of the people around us. This is who we are called to be. So my assignment to you is to watch the things that you say. Are you saying th things that are true? Or are you misleading? Are you deceiving? Are you tearing down? And if you find that you are consistently saying things that are not true, that tear down, that destroy other people, you've got to stop and ask God what's going on in your heart. Because words, Jesus says, come from the overflow of our heart. The root of this is what's going on in your heart. Maybe inside you're really angry at God right now. You can't stand the things that he's done. And so you're angry at him, and that pours out in your speech and how you treat other people and whether or not you're willing to speak truth. Maybe right now you're disappointed in God. You feel like he's let you down, and that's coming out in your words. Maybe you're really fearful. You're scared. You're having a really hard time trusting God. And so it's coming out in how you treat others. It's coming out in the, in the words that you're speaking. Whatever it is, you have to get to the root of it because once you see that there is bitterness or lack of trust or fear or anger there, then God is able to come and heal those things in your heart. When God can minister to your heart, then it frees you to say true words. This is far too important to just let slide because there is a huge gospel, gospel opportunity for us as a church in this. There's a huge opportunity for us to live out the gospel in ways that people around us can see by how we use our words. 
Let me give you uh, an example of, of what this might look like. I heard a story of a, a pastor in Seattle who was uh, at a get-together with some of his neighbors, uh, and one of their other neighbors uh, came up as a topic of conversation. This particular neighbor uh, was a believer, confessed to be a Christian, uh, but he did some things that really bothered all of his other neighbors. He was a really unpopular man. Uh, one of the things in particular that bothered him is he had, uh, alongside his curb, he has a designated parking spot. And there was people weren't supposed to park in this, in this one spot. But if Seattle is a busy city, there's limited parking, so people were always parking in this spot. But rather than dealing with it in a positive way, what this guy would do, he'd get a big piece of paper, he'd put glue all over it, he'd slap it onto the windshield of these cars and write this nasty message about how much of an idiot, how stupid, how foolish, how illiterate this person was for parking in this spot. And his neighbors were, were seeing this, and they were, they were talking about how nasty of a man he was. Like, why would he do things like that? It's just, he is just a terrible person. When this pastor heard them talking like this, he said, you know what, I, I, I totally disagree with what he did there. That was not the right thing. But we don't know everything that's going on in that guy's life. Maybe there's hard stuff. Maybe, maybe there's other stuff. We, we shouldn't talk about him like this. He's not here to defend himself. And so they kind of begrudgingly moved the conversation on and didn't talk about him anymore. But afterwards, another one of the neighbors came up to this pastor and said, why would you stick up for that guy? He, he's doing really nasty things. He's mean. No one should stick up for him. Why are you doing this? And the pastor was able to use that as a way to point to the gospel, saying, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus, and part of what that means is that I have someone in heaven who's standing up for me before God's throne of judgment. Jesus has forgiven me. I'm a bad person, too. I may be worse than our other neighbor who we're complaining about. I'm worse than him, and yet Jesus has totally forgiven me, even though I'm a really bad person. And right now, if Jesus is standing up for me before God, I have an advocate before the Father. If I have that in heaven well, then of course I'm going to stand up for the people around me. So it was an opportunity to bring the gospel into the situation because of the way he was using his words. He was speaking truth for justice and truth for the good of his neighbor. He, lay, he was living his life with gospel intentionality. The only answer to how he was speaking about this neighbor, who was a really nasty guy, was that God had worked in his life. There was a gospel explanation here, and so he was able to share the goodness of Jesus with his neighbor. What we have to understand is that people will notice how we talk. We must speak truth. We must speak truth because we know the one who is truth. We know the truth that is so much better than all of the deception and all of the lies that fill the world, the glorious truth of the God who brings justice, who brings grace for the good of the whole world. As his people, we must use our words to testify every day to that fantastic truth. Please pray with me. God, I pray that you would give us the conviction and the integrity and the courage to speak true words in a world of deception. May your people be marked as those who are a people of truth, who are a people of justice, who are people who truly love the people around us. For that to happen, we need you to change our hearts. Would you please send your spirit to reshape us so that we'd be your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.